on this episode of Jeff Does Vegas. So that was my dear friend and director, Calm Crystal. I was at my friend Lucy Bradridge's house, who's our designer, and um, he came for dinner and we got a little bit drunk and he said to me, I've been approached by Spiegel World to do a show and I want to gather all these absolute bevy of exotic beauties and I want you to play the ugly old hag. <laughs> And I, I was a bit drunk and I was like, oh, well, I'll need a lot of makeup for that, Cal. But yes, I'm <laughs> partially interested. Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Welcome to episode number 145 of Jeff Does Vegas. Just before we get into this episode of the show, I wanted to thank my guest from the last episode, Sean Coomer, the founder and editor-in-chief of Miles to Memories, a website dedicated to sharing tips and tricks to get the best value from travel and loyalty rewards programs. Sean and I went very in-depth on the subject of comps and casino loyalty programs, including the best and worst ways to earn free hotel stays and casino credit, as well as how to increase your status within those programs. If you haven't listened as of yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out episode number 144, VIP, Casino Comps and Loyalty Rewards. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Spiegel World's Atomic Saloon Show, currently playing two shows a night, five nights a week at the Venetian, is easily one of the best shows, if not the best show, running in Las Vegas. And I'm very happy to be joined for this episode of the podcast by one of the incredibly talented members of the cast. On my most recent trip to Vegas, I headed over to Spiegel World's super-secret headquarters for a chat with Petra Massey, better known as Boozy Skunkton the proprietor of the Atomic Saloon and Brothel, and MC of the show. Petra and I chatted about what got her into performing, her career before she joined Spiegel World, the early days of workshopping Atomic Saloon, and much more. Please enjoy my conversation with Petra Massey. We had a curtain that divided the dining room and the sitting room in, in our house, and there were big sort of green sort of curtains. And when after dinner, after my parents had finished eating, they'd come and sit in the sitting room and then I'd put on shows for them, whether they liked it or not. And I, I used to be a massive fan of um, Bugsy Malone. Mm -hmm. And I, I would sit in my room for hours and hours and hours and learn all the songs, all the lyrics and, you know, really into the old kind of black and white movies and all the old movie stars and like, you know, I was very, very starstruck when I was a kid. And then I'd start putting on shows when I was about six years old with all my friends from the local village. So um, it was quite a funny story. There was uh, 
this um, moment where we were doing a bucket of water gag. So all the, the village were out. I think it was a Christmas show. All the village was out, all the kids and babies and things like that. And um, we were doing this thing where you go one, two, three, and they knew that it was a bucket of water and then we threw them, but we'd switched the water for sticky toffees, mm-hmm. um, lollipops. But I didn't know that all the lollipops had stuck together because it was quite a hot not, uh, day. And so when we chucked the lollipops, they came out in a massive lump and they landed on the baby's head. <laughs> And that was when my sort of uh, dark humour in comedy sort of began because I I was horrified, but at the same time, it was really hysterical. The baby was not hurt. Uh, The mother managed to put her arms out in front um, and they knew that it was a mistake, but people were hysterically laughing because it was just, they saw the shock on our little faces. So was that then when you decided, you know what, physical performances and really dark physical comedy was was where you wanted to go? Or was it much later than that? It was much later than that because I always wanted to be taken seriously. I wanted to be a serious actress and and I still do. And but it was very clear. I went, I ended up going uh, to Middlesex Poly, which is now university and doing a BA honors in performance art. And uh, I got kind of interested in, very interested in a company called Theatre du Complicité, who do very physical, comedic um, pieces, and they devise all their own work, so it's all completely original. And me and my friend Charlotte went over to see uh, them at the Almeida, and we came out running with joy, just saying, this is what we want to do, this is what we want to do. So I think, but I didn't expect to go into the clown comedy world. I still thought that I might someday be taken seriously as an actress, but that's just never happened, (laughs) sadly. Uh I mean, but I mean, you've had some pretty serious roles. You've done TV, you've done movies, you've done yeah. lots of that kind of stuff. Yeah, always typecast as a prostitute or a robot. <laughs> but but ever have have the two ever met? Have you ever been a prostitute robot? Uh, no, a robotic prostitute. No, I don't think I have. But that's that would be quite good. Maybe that's going to be my you know my piece de resistance. And so I want to talk a little bit as well about Spy Monkey, because this is, I I was doing some research into you and doing some reading, and this seems like such a cool group and such a cool company. You, you helped to put this together. You founded this, you put this all together. Tell me about Spy Monkey. So co-founded with my comedy padres, compadres, um, Toby Park and Aitor Basauri, and the dear departed Stefan Kreis, who sadly we lost in 2021. Um, but we founded the company in 1998, I think. Um, and we enlisted Cal McChrystal as our director. And we worked all together with Stefan and our brilliant designer um, and prop maker, Lucy Bradridge. And with Cal, we worked together for the first 10 years and we did uh, Stiff, Undertaking, Undertaking and Cooped. And we did another show called Bless. And then we started to look further afield and started to work with different directors with um, uh, Jos Huben, who was actually from Theatre de Complicité. So this was like a dream come true that I ended up working with the idols that I was completely in love with for years and years were now directing our show. So that was like a massive honour, a total honour. Um And we worked with uh, Emma Rice, who's quite a well-known director. And so basically, we wrote and divide shows. They usually would take us about six weeks to put the shows together. 
And then in, weirdly, we had a very strange journey because Blessed didn't go so well. That was our third album kind of show. And we were headhunted by Cirque du Soleil. Cal had already worked on a show, Varakai, and he really wanted us to work on this new show, Zumanity. And it took quite a lot of persuading. I really dug my heels in and I didn't want to leave. I was very happy with what the work that we were doing and I had heard some horror stories about Cirque and about how they treat the performers and Itor really wanted to go. So there was this sort of slight struggle Um, But then we did end up going and it was the most fantastic time of two years. And we made lifelong friends working with Jerry Arias and Raven O and people that we're still in touch now, Corinne Zazur and Mel Vasquez. And um, a lot of them are still in Las Vegas now. And then that kind of put us on the map because we went from kind of small fringe theatre to you know, selling out a show 2,500 or is it 5,000 seater? I can't remember how big it is, but it was massive. So we went from small fringe theatre to Las Vegas, the strip with nothing sort of in between. There wasn't a growth in between. So it was a real adventure actually. And I think it really gelled the company because we were not only living like down the road from each other but we all were bringing up our families together and we had like what we call a spy monkey village there were 11 of us with the wives and the kids mm-hmm. and then when friends came over which was a lot you know the village would grow mm-hmm. so it was a real I think that was the glue actually although Stefan was a bit of a traitor because when it came to the two years uh contract finishing we wanted to go back and retake what we were doing Cirque were a bit shocked by that because they're like, well, why don't you stay here? It's like, because we want to do other things now. But Stefan actually tried to stay and he was a traitor and I'll (laughs) never forgive him for that. But what happened was he wanted to stay, but the three of us wanted to go and and they said, basically, all of you or none of you. So Mm -hmm. he had to come with us. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, in the reading that I did about Spy Monkey and about that, your group, I mean, you guys are you're heavily revered, you're, you're researched, you're, you're studied. I mean, that's gotta be a pretty incredible feeling when you've put something together like that and a body of work like that. And people are like, we want to emulate that. We want to do that. Yeah. It feels, I, I don't really think about it that much until I come to certain places where like when I came to Vegas and I was getting in touch with Foki and and various people trying to suss out what it's like to work with Spiegel World and getting a little bit of inside information. And I remember emailing him, and I'd only met him once. He did a Spy Monkey workshop about eight years ago, uh, or longer, actually. And um, I, t- I emailed him and I said, Hello, my name's Petra Massey. I'm from a company called Spy Monkey. I, I think I might have the possibility of a job working with Spiegel World and living in Vegas again and just wondered if you might be able to let me know what it's like. And then he wrote back going, What do you mean? Spectrum, of course we know who you are, you're a legend. I was like, oh my God, this is Foki, he's so amazing and he's calling me a legend. I was so, <laughs> I was so, oh, I don't know, really humbled and honoured and, 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 and it always surprises me, like when I, you know, when young people, younger people than myself come up to me and they, they say that they admire the work and they talk about the shows with such passion and, and I feel... I feel really humbled by that, actually, because, you know, we've just had fun and we've just enjoyed the journey. And 
I suppose we've now, I mean, Toby and Itor have now written a, what's called a theatre of theatre of the funny, a manifesto. So it's got quite serious and academic now because Toby's <laughs> the, the the brains behind the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I miss them terribly. I mean, it's, there, there are no words to describe. When, on the first day that I got here, I went to a thrift store, or second day, and I found a monkey, just a little lonely monkey, sitting by herself, and I bought it, and I put it in my restroom, my toilet, because that is how I feel, like I am sort of feel a little bit a lonely monkey now. Do you ever get a chance to go back and see them and, and spend time? Well pandemic stopped that i guess yes so i what i i was only on loan from spy monkey for a year mm-hmm. so i was only supposed to be away for a year and then i was having such a good time and it was such a big move to move all of my family i thought i'll just stay one more year mm-hmm. and I, I i i phoned them i called them and we talked about it and you know they said they were okay with that to, but to come back after that and i i had every intention to come back after two years and then the pandemic hit eight months into that year and then everything was as you know completely changed and I spent 13 months thinking should I stay should I go there was nothing in England nothing was happening in Europe and I thought if anything opens it's going to be the entertainment capital of the world and I'm living in it Mm -hmm. so I stuck it out Mm -hmm. and now because of those 13 months where everything changed um, my priorities have changed sure and it was a very scary time, you know, having a kid, not knowing where the money was coming in and uh, security suddenly became, you know, I've always been a risk taker mm-hmm. and an adventurer. And that hasn't gone. It's just something else has taken precedent right now. And that's basically having something that's regular and that I know where the paycheck's coming for now. That right. could change, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy working with Spiegel World. I really enjoy the company. It's growing. I love being part of this movement. I think this, you know, most people who have made it, like Ross, usually end up buying islands, but he's bought a town. And I have so much love and respect for that. I just think it is. And I've been to Nipton and it's this beautiful, rich vein of history with the likes of Clara Bow and Rex Bell and. And I'm uh, making I, I'm making a sort of proposal for a short film at the moment that about Clara Bell because I think there's some parallels between Clara Bell and Boozy Skunkton, mm-hmm. both being redheads and both being unapologetic. Um, so uh, I'm I'm really behind how they're growing and feel again very very proud actually to be part of this journey with mm-hmm. Spiegel World. Um, they're they're a very sort of maverick, fresh company and um i just really enjoy the work and i enjoy the people i'm having a lot of fun did you know much about spiegel world and and what they did prior to getting involved with atomic saloon i mean the shows that they were running here in vegas already at that point i mean absinthe is a legendary show and such a great show and they Mm -hmm. did such an amazing job with that and i think that that show really kind of um, set the community on its ear in this town and the type of show that they were doing. And then same thing with opium. So I'm sure, I mean, you were aware of, of what they were doing here. Yes, I was, I'd, I'd, well, because, you know, we were in Vegas in 2003 to 2005 doing Zumanity. And then I think we came back in 2008, which is pretty much when Absinthe opened. And this is where we met Foki and Anais. 
and knew about and we saw that show and it was in the small tent it was a much smaller show then and it was brilliant and we thought this is amazing um we were trying to carve this different kind of comedy within Zumanity, within the realms of Cirque du Soleil, which was quite difficult because mm-hmm. they tend to put you under the umbrella of Cirque du Soleil. And I fought, fought really hard to keep our name as Spy Monkey and not just the clown so that we just disappeared. Mm-hmm. And I fought tooth and nail for that. Um, so it was really interesting to see Spiegel World um, carve the way for the likes of people like me and Amy Misbehave and... Um, all these brilliant performers coming in who might norm- not normally have a, uh, a an avenue to show off their work because there wasn't really an audience for it. But now the tide is turning mm. and you can really feel like the nature of of the Spiegel World shows like Atomic may not have worked 20 years ago, but now they're absolutely thriving because there's a very different feeling and different taste. And what's happening is it's bringing a very different calibre of performer in uh, and a very interesting calibre of performer. Um, so uh, it's it feels like right time, right place at the moment. That's what it feels like to me. And Vegas has changed. I mm-hmm. mean, from how it was 20 years ago to now, it's a much more interesting place to live and with a family as well. Because mm-hmm. most people don't really know the other side of Vegas, but there's a brilliant side of Vegas that is away from the strip mm-hmm. and really quite animated and fresh and... Uh, new things are happening. It's uh, a very fertile ground for creativity at the moment, I feel. How did you get involved with Atomic Saloon? How did that come to be? So that was my dear friend and director, Calm Crystal, who worked with Spy Monkey, as I say, for you know a large part of our existence. And it was, uh, I was at my friend Lucy Bradridge's house, who's our designer, and um, he came for dinner. And we got a little bit drunk and he said to me, I've been approached by Spiegel World to do a show and I want to gather all these absolute bevy of exotic beauties and I want you to play the ugly old hag. <laughs> and I, I was a bit drunk and I was like, oh, well, I'll need a lot of makeup for that, Cal. But yes, I'm <laughs> partially interested. And then I just forgot about it. And then... I I turned to my husband about a week later and I said, I can't remember if this happened or not, but I think Cal asked me if I'd be interested in going back to Vegas, but I don't know if it was true or not. And I said, if it were true, would you be interested? He said, yeah, I'd jump at it. I'd absolutely jump at it because we started, our marriage started in Vegas. We got married and then came to Vegas. And he's from Switzerland and couldn't speak a word of English. So (laughs) (laughs) suddenly arriving in Vegas. And then literally, I think a week later, I said, Cal, I don't know if you were being serious about that, but I'm definitely interested. And then a a week after that, I received a contract from Spiegel World. Wow. Sign here, pretty much. And six months later, I was gone. It happened really fast. And so you guys, you workshopped the show in Edinburgh at the Fringe Festival. What was it like being able to do that and and develop the show there and, and really go forward with it? Such a good idea on a multi, multi-layered, uh, in a multi-layered way, because first of all, you've taken all of these performers who don't know each other and put them in, in almost a neutral land because nobody lived in Edinburgh. So we all came together. We were on this island together making this show. Um, and uh, Edinburgh also is beautiful. I mean, outside of the festival, it's much a, a much calmer place. So it was lovely to have that first month. 
it was such a good idea to to train the show there uh because it made it really fun really exciting um basically edinburgh is a thespy festi and it's just full of creative artists so it was really wonderful to see and there were there were people from vegas that had never who lived in vegas or had never been to edinburgh before so it was so exciting and it was such a journey and we had two months together so we did the first month making the show and the second month performing it every single night except for one night mm-hmm. so we really honed the show so by the time we came um by the time we came to Vegas, we were we were on it. You know, we were ready to go. We were ready to fly. So then, I think we had about two weeks settling the show into the Vegas, the new the the new venue, and then, yeah, it it hit the ground running. It was like a massive, massive success. I remember David O'Mare, who's the Bath boy in in Absinthe, saying, "Oh, we've got serious competition with Absinthe now. <laughs> it's the new kid on the block." But uh, sadly, it was curtailed by the pandemic as mm-hmm. we were reaching this thing. But it's really picking up again now and it's starting to sell out again. And the show's blinding. I mean, it is without doubt the best finale. And I've done a lot of shows in my 57 years, but it is without the doubt the best finale that I've ever done. I look at the audience's faces and they're like children. They're just, they cannot believe their eyes at what's going on. And it's just bang, bang laugh 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 and just incredulity under uh, incredulity on, on top of an incredulity they just cannot believe what they're seeing and I so enjoy it even in when I'm tired and I'm on my 10th show and it's a Tuesday night I get to that finale and it's like it's joyous it's just totally joyous and that's saying something because I've been doing the th- show for three years now mm-hmm. so to still be in love with the show and in love with everybody that performs it and in love with the Spiegel World Company I've I feel f- so lucky, so, so damn lucky. Yeah, I pinch myself sometimes. <laughs> when the show was first getting going and you were workshopping it and you were getting scripts and you were you were doing doing these things in rehearsals, was there ever a time when you were like, what the fuck is happening here? Because yeah. it's such a crazy show. Yeah. I, I, most days I was like, what the? Because... <laughs> I mean, my journey was, um, you know, everyone's journey is a bit different, but I had been performing with my compadres. I toured Stefan and Toby for 20 years and I hadn't done my own stuff for, well, since before I met them because I used to be a solo performer. I was a street performer, stand-up comedian and, you know, just jobbing actress, basically. So suddenly I was kind of carving my own way, but without my three boys and... The whole, my whole character within Spy Monkey is I always want to be the star. You know, I, I aspire to be the star, but I'm never allowed because Toby's always, because I'm I'm an idiot. I mean, if you're told that you're an idiot in clown work, that's the highest accolade that you could get. And he'd just <laughs> say, no, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. You can't. So it was always wanting to be the young ingenue. Um, and then suddenly, although not young ingenue, but they want me to play the lead. And... Then I was like, well, where's my comedy? Where where do I, if I'm already the lead, how, you know, am I playing the straight person? Am I, am I, what is this? And I, I found it really, really difficult. I mean, I had a comedy partner back then um, who was very, very funny and um, had been solo performing. So, you know, he was very, very strong and I felt extremely lost. So, uh, and it was a real challenge for me to find my feet again um, in that way without Toby Eitor and Stefan and 
carving what is the new me in this show where I am playing the lead. Um, and I'd get, I don't know if I'd get embarrassed, but, you know, people would go, oh, you're the lead of the show. I'd, I'd say I'm the boss lady, you know, I'm the, <laughs> I'm the brothel owner. Because I do feel like, you know, I'm very for the fact that, you know, this show that you see is uh, just a small part of the big picture with all the the crew and the wardrobe and the management and all the performers and the musical directors and the director and the producer and it's you know sometimes they don't get credit so this is me giving credit to everyone that put this show together because it, it took a a huge amount of work but it was a huge amount of fun doing it but uh, yeah I was a doubting Thomas for I would say Mm, I would say at least for the first four to five months mm-hmm. of performing it, I had to really find my way, and it was it was really challenging for me. But I have, and I feel like I'm owning it now, and I feel very in boozy skin, and um, sort of the woman that you love to hate. After the break, Petra and I talk about some of the amazing people she shares the stage with inside the Atomic Saloon, and we discuss the development of her character boozy skunked in that's next on jeff does vegas i want to talk about boozy because i mean she's she's out there she's such a great character she's so much fun how much input did you have in developing that character and and the bigger question is how much of you is in that character well, with Cal, um, we the clown is very much you. It's the part clown would. Uh, I, uh, sorry, Cal would always say it's your party self. It's yourself where you go into a party and you're on an absolute buzz and you are the belle of the ball. So it's that it's that kind of energy. So boozy is me to a certain extent it's my sort of aggressive party self my out there outrageous gregarious um self uh but we also had a script writer um that came in so he would come up with a lot of the lines or and most of the script and then I would tinker away at it which I've done and I'm still doing because you know it's forever changing with the pandemic and now not the pandemic and masks sometimes and this and that so I always but I'm always very respectful so I always make sure that you know I check in with Cal or check in with the resident director sometimes I'll just find a line and just go okay can I change it because that really works so you're constantly keeping it fresh but yeah the clown the boozy is very much me it's I mean that's why Cal got me in to do this job because he wanted that that type of energy that type of clowning um and he wanted a, a strong female lead How's the character evolved in the time that you've been performing the show now? Um, This has been, again, an interesting journey because I was playing the lead and I was the brothel opener and I had a whip and she was very um, aggressive, but it was too aggressive. When I first started, it was, um, she was too frightening and it wasn't funny. And I was playing the status rather than let the status just take over uh, and then I could play under. I was playing very high status and I was just too mean. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the jokes weren't coming. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't working because people were just like, oh, I don't think I like you. Um, you're actually a bit of a cow. 
and you're horrible to people. So I just started turn, toning it down and finding the laughter of Boozy and finding the softness. Because I'm already high status, I'm already the brothel owner, I'm already their boss, the staff's, you know, everybody's boss. I could just let go. And I think... I think that happened actually when I gained confidence that, you know, I could run the ship, basically, because mm. that's what I'm doing. I'm, I mean, a lot of people say that I'm, I'm the glue of the show. I keep, you know, I, you know, I feel very responsible for making the, the show uh, energetic and high and it, giving everyone their accolades, intros and outros and just keeping that energy up and and you know, uh, buoyed, and so the audience are always interested. And also that our bits are interesting because they're such blow-me-away acts that you've got to try and keep up with that level of skill, you Uh know, even if it's just verbiage and, um, you know, just making jokes and stuff like that. And on a quieter night, that can be hard. Uh So sometimes I have to do this thing I call myself boozy bullet. So I just... I just absolutely keep the energy and if there aren't any laughs coming, I don't wait for them, you know, because there's nothing worse than waiting for a laugh that doesn't come. Yeah. And I can sort of tell when they're a quiet, they're enjoying it, but like a quieter audience. Mm-hmm. Otherwise the energy drops. Do you ever have those nights when you walk out and you look at the audience or you do one of the gags or one of the jokes and it doesn't really land and you just think, oh, it's going to be one of those nights. Never. <laughs> Yeah, it happens on occasion. It happens on occasion. But you know, the beauty of this is we're such a tight company and such a tight cast that there's a twinkle in all of our eyes. And most of the time, it gets to a point, usually when it's Jean-Louis that goes out, Jerome, where the audience change and we have them in the palm of our hands it takes them a little while to sort of settle into the show because as you know the opening song is pretty hardcore yeah and you it sort of sorts um sorts out the meat from the potatoes of who's going to be enjoying this show and who's not because you know it's not for everybody Mm -hmm. um but usually i would say nine times out of ten there's a point in the show where it turns and then they're in the palm of our hands Mm -hmm. and then we just i would say you know, most of the time, it's just an absolute riot. Even on the quieter shows, winning those quieter shows over is is really lovely. You feel like they're with us. They're with us. They're a little bit quiet, but they're totally with us. That first, I remember the first time when my wife and I went and saw the show. And that first song, that opening song hit. And I think we both looked at each other and went, what did he just say? <laughs> This is amazing. This yeah. is the best thing we've ever seen. I, I would imagine from from backstage and from on stage when you do that and you see that, if you get that look in that someone's face, it's just got to be like, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And I remember when they chose that song and there was just this absolute unanimous decision that this has to go in the show. This is the opening song and everyone absolutely creasing up with laughter and then getting the audience to join in. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a real icebreaker or not for some people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I remember I I talked with, with Colin Cahill the one time and asked him about that. And he said the first time they handed that to him and said, this is the song that you're going to sing when you walk out again, he was kind of, okay, we'll see how this goes. Yeah. He does it so well. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. 
Is there a level of improv involved in the show? Because you guys do some audience interaction, not as much as you used to. Yeah. But is there a level of improv? Yeah. I have little pockets of moments uh, within the show where I'll always improvise. And, you know, every show is different because every audience is different. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are certain parts that I have to stick to the strict, just partly because of the pace of the show, but also because of the cues and being respectful for other performers. Um but definitely within my role, who uh, the guy that plays the preacher now, Eli Weinberg, who's absolutely brilliant. And we have such a great relationship on and off stage. So there's lots of fun with us and we make sure that we keep things alive. And there's a, often a lot of time where we're just giggling, you know, and giggling with the other performers, which actually is wonderful because it really feels for the audience that they're seeing something special. So there's just a lot of shared humour between all of us. I think there's is it 14 of us, something like that, 13 or 14 wow. cast members. And and with the crew backstage as well, there's a very, very good energy at the Atomic. And I think the audience can feel that. They can feel that there's a really, and, and with the swings, that there's a really um, loving and fun-filled sort of energy between us and always connecting with each other on stage which is so important because it's all about play the play mm -hmm. is about play mm -hmm. you know and you stop playing um and it becomes uh dead mm -hmm. the venue as well is such an awesome venue the the saloon setup and the the multi-levels and the the stage in the center. The first time you guys walked into Vegas, into the Venetian, and saw that that venue, you guys must have just been blown away. Totally blown away. Um, I call it a jewel in the desert. It's... I always get lost in there, though, because there's just so many nooks and crannies and round and round. And it's such an interesting venue with all... I don't know if you've seen all the disco room and all these little tiny rooms off from the main room. Uh, it's beautifully... I think it was Mike... Bowder and Matt and um, gosh, Nita, and then a lot of artists who sort of made this place come together. Originally, it was the box, I think, and I think we've kept some of the original artwork from the box. It's such a beautiful venue to play. It's so intimate, and you see all the faces, and you've got two different levels, and it's um, yeah, it it really makes the place, and it feels so kind of cozy and homey but also quite dangerous mm -hmm. in a good way like kind of unpredictable like you do not know where the uh where the performers are and where they're going to pop out from and it's you just, really don't <laughs> yeah and you don't know who's in the show and who's not in the show the person sitting next to you is in and mm -hmm. so it's um it's really lively it's a really lively show and the venue makes it the venue makes it really special yeah i don't think there's any venue like it in vegas apart from um well the spiegel world tent obviously absent but uh this this new super frico restaurant is mm -hmm. amazing as well yes yeah. they've got a real and they've got spiegel world as a company have got such an artistic eye they've mm -hmm. got you know so many brilliant talented highly skilled people working them they've got real originality and mm -hmm. you know of a, a very fine-tuned touch. I've seen the show from up top. The first time we saw it, we were up top. And then the second time I saw it, I was right there. Right. And, I mean, it's it's a different show from both vantage points because when you're up top, you're seeing all of that stuff. And then, as you say, when you're down low, you don't know where anybody's coming from. And yeah. it's such it's so many surprises. It's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the show itself. Okay. There, it is a show that has a story and a plot line. So yes. let's 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 share that for people that maybe aren't familiar with it. 
So Boozy runs a brothel um, and she has her staff and they consist of Fanny and they consist of Sweet Cheeks. And Sweet Cheeks and Jean-Louis she's extremely jealous of because they're like the young, pretty couple. And she's kind of got her eye on both of them as love interests. I mean, she bats for both sides without a doubt, whatever moves, you know, really. Um, she can't really be fussy anymore. And... Um, she is really mean to those two because they are in love, but she doesn't want them to get together because she just wants them to work and um, she wants everybody to sort of kowtow to her. And she's extremely unapologetic about that. And so this story is going all the way through. And then there's a sort of love interest with the preacher as well, although that's sort of an unspoken because they kind of irritate each other and they're really mean to each other. But there is definitely a love interest with a parody at the end. Um, and then finally, at the end, it's Bridie, cousin Bridie, because we've got um, Paddy and Bridie, who are the uh, 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 O'Skunkton cousins, who decides that the deeds, um, that she's taken the deeds back and that the actual saloon belongs to her and she's taken away Boozy's brothel. And then Boozy just crumbles um, and then thinks, OK, screw it, I'm just going to go and show them my skill and climbs a pole. And then there's a fantastic, as I say, a fantastic finale at the end with full-on uh, Suzanne Cleary and Peter Harding are up, up and over it. And they're the Irish dancers and they choreograph this brilliant um, Irish dance at the end, which mm-hmm. is basically a bar brawl mm-hmm. with lots of buns being thrown and bottles being broken, chairs being broken. I mean, proper bar, bar brawl. It took us a long time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um and lots and lots of rehearsals, lots of fight rehearsals and stuff like that. And uh, so, yeah, basically, you know, at the end, so it all all comes around and it's all kind of very joyous at the end with this sort of amazing fight scene. And uh, I won't tell you the very end of what happens with the nun because I don't want to give too much away. But you know that I know that you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Gives a lot of pleasure to a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> There, there are some, again, some absolutely incredible performers involved in this show as well. Yeah. And I mean, some of the acts are just, they're, they're stunning. I mean, they're, they're absolutely stunning to yeah. watch. Yeah, they really are. They're world-class. I mean, Jerome, when he does um, the straps act, I, I describe him as like chocolate, liquid chocolate on a rope because he's just so fluid and so smooth. Alina... Um, who's from the Ukraine, who does the poll number at the end. She's sweet cheeks, just her energy and like the way she, it's like she's having a fight with the poll, but it's like the energy that she has never fails. We've got this brilliant new hula hooper, Geraldine, who's circus family, like third generation. And she does this incredible, that's the opening number, incredible hula hoop number. And then, of course, we've got Christian with his dog, Percy, who just every... I mean, that annoys me because Percy, the dog, takes the show. And I'm basically playing next to a bitch who's actually a bigger bitch than me. And, uh, yeah, I um, get a bit annoyed about that because everyone talks about the dog. And then, of course, we've got Fernando, who's amazing, and Suzanne and Pete, who are bridey and... um, uh, Bridie and Paddy who are just the most so they were like world champions at like the age of four or five or something for Irish dancing and they're like second or third generation Irish dancers 
so the skill level the nuns fofo uh is incredible and that 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 nun act is like so original mm-hmm. and that's what everyone talks about at the end you know those are the like the hit numbers percy the dog the irish dancing and and fofo there they're very special you don't see those kind of acts every day in the circus because they're very original mm-hmm well, the show is uh, Atomic Saloon Show. It's at the Venetian. Two shows a night. Yes. That's crazy. Yes, 7.30 and 9.30. Actually, you know what? It's kind of like, I always find the first one back in after two days off the hardest. It's a bit like Monday morning. Um, but then you get into the swing of it. Uh, we're really lucky as well. We have swing, fantastic swings that swing in for us. So it gives us a little bit of break and we can refuel and mm-hmm. it sort of makes for a bigger company as well. And I think that's where Spiegel World are really sort of empathetic to how a performer will just burn out if you're doing 10 shows, bang, 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 bang uh, a week for a period of time. So that you can let your body rest, let your mind rest, live your life a little bit outside the shows and come back with renewed and refreshed energy. It's so important. And it makes people want to work for this company because mm-hmm. they they got it right. Mm-hmm. I've worked for a lot of companies that didn't get it right and you don't want to work for them. I mean, there's so many people that would just be like bashing the door down to work with Spiegel World at the moment because they know how to treat performers and you know you get that's not rocket science just mm-hmm. a few breaks every now and then you know that's all and then you come back and you're like banging to go again it's it's fantastic i love it petra thank you so much for doing this and taking the time I, again i appreciate this and and uh i'm i'm excited to share your story with everybody can i say one extra thing absolutely um i'm just about to become or am really a wedding officiant and uh which means i can marry people and i really want my first marriage to happen at the atomic saloon stage i want boozy to marry someone so if there are any takers or takers that want to retake your vows like yourself then come to the atomic saloon show and um get married i will uh i'm gonna talk to my wife about that that would be brilliant (laughs) awesome petra thank you so much thank you And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcast so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production.